Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. I do understand that it's been a while. I definitely apologize for the fact that at least nothing was able to come out last week in the sense that I was in the middle of setting up a couple of things and reorganizing the rest of the place that I'm going to be living in for the next uh, couple of months. But at least for now, I was finally able to go through, unwind, and actually try and look back and actually start to watch either some content or catch up on the sports of specific seasons that are going to be ending, especially with what happened yesterday in the terms of the 56th Super Bowl, I believe. Finally came to a conclusion where essentially the LA Rams ended up being the Cincinnati Bengals with a little bit of controversy stemming from the final two minutes and the penalties lining through, but I can definitely still congratulate Matthew Stafford in finally being able to go through and come out successfully on top, and I would not be surprised to see Joe Burrow at some point in time in the future make his way back all the way into the Super Bowl once again and have another knock at it. So at least I can give them a bit of congratulations, but for the rest of it, I think I'm done with talking about sports. I think we should actually get back into anime, or at least I kind of wish, considering that why one of the reasons that came to be that I wasn't able to get something out last week was I was kind of going back and forth on trying to figure out what essentially I would do with the new Oscar nominations that ended up coming out. Considering that on last Tuesday, I would have expected to at least bring something out once the nominees were actually introduced and listed, considering that there were about half a dozen anime films that were in the running, and while some deserved it more than others, I was kind of curious to see how that list would actually play out before I ended up going through and deciding on one, considering that I had seen some films and I hadn't seen others, and there was definitely a lot of backlog and catch-up that I would have had to do on Disney, Pixar, and DreamWorks, and Netflix stuff if I was able to go actually compile and watch everything on that list to at least give me a general idea about what I was talking about, considering that over the past three weeks... I was still able to see Bell. I was still able to see Lucas and the Machines. I was able to watch Summit of God. It's a lot of it was actually able to go through, but I, at least I can guarantee that I'll fast forward that episode and put that Oscar nominated series out next week, just so I can at least keep things out on the straight and narrow and at least kind of keep the routine going to at least get at least, uh, <laughs> at least, at least, and at least get two episodes out every two weeks or so and to at least get back to the episode every two-week uh, format. So at least to that reign, not really much ended up happening news-wise over the past couple of weeks, considering that the majority of it has gone through the final anime to finally make its debut for the winter 2022 season ended up being uh, Ryman's Club. And so that's all about uh, badminton and salarymen, and it's kind of been interesting since I've been getting back into badminton myself, on top of the fact that one of the Switch games that got announced for Direct was the uh, essentially the follow-up to Wii Sports Resort. I'm completely blanking on what essentially the new title was, but all I do know is that that also has badminton, so I won't be surprised if I end up picking that up just on the sole case for me to not only get back into bowling, but do a couple of things in terms of sword fighting, kendo, bit of volleyball, bit of ping pong, but also now that badminton's been involved... It's going to be, you know, a little more interesting. It gives me another uh, something to do in the meantime. But then at least announcement-wise, we finally ended up getting a release date or a North American release date for the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero film. And I'm honestly glad to be proven right at this point in time, considering that 
for something that is as big and as influential and popular as the first season of Jujutsu Kaisen was, I wouldn't be surprised that it would take, you know, about four to five months to at least go through and get that fast-tracked as quickly as possible to the larger uh, worldwide audience, considering how big of a hit it was not only in Japan, but worldwide. So it's going to come at some point in time afterwards to the UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, and France, but... All the additional territories are going to be announced at a later date, whereas the English dub as well as the English subversion is going to be coming out in North American theaters, or in this case just US and Canada, on March 18th. So I'm not necessarily going to be surprised at how well this is going to do, considering how much it was able to accomplish in those short 25 episodes, but I'm really curious to see how hyped that is, considering that tickets will go on pre-sale for February 25th, which at this point in time is less than two weeks away, so if that's a bit of a priority for you, then I would definitely recommend getting the jump start in the rest of the crowd, as considering how big shonen adaptation films have been going over the past five years, I wouldn't be surprised if this would all get snatched up immediately on opening day. So, if that's a priority of yours, then definitely get the jump on it, because those guys will go fast. And then in terms of me not really having much of a relationship to uh, just One Piece in general, although the fact that it's still as big as it is comparatively and how long that Oda has been able to run this for as much as he possibly could, we finally ended up getting a tweet signifying that the filming of the live-action Netflix adaptation of One Piece has finally begun and is now further into its production schedule. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to go, considering that this is a Hollywood live-action series instead of one that's being taken place inside of Japan, although I don't necessarily think that matters because whenever it comes to live-action anime or manga adaptations, unless it is incredibly, I think I've just spouted this several times before, unless it is not outwardly saying that it is an anime or manga adaptation as much as Edge of Tomorrow was, if it is something that is directly referencing and definitely pointing out that we are doing a live-action adaptation of this property, then there's not really much that can be positively said about anything relating to that. So it's kind of like, good on him. I really hope it actually like follows through and becomes a success because we've been waiting for a live-action adaptation to at least find some semblance of not only quality, but respect and callbacks to the people that have been making this property such a mainstay in the anime sphere in of itself. Because at least for me in particular, I've seen a handful of One Piece episodes. I haven't necessarily jumped into the manga just yet. I do know that at least we are finally over like 20 years have passed. And the fact that we are at least, you know, two thirds to 30 to uh, three quarters of the way there, as Oda has said before. So, I mean, at some point in time, we'll be able to go and have an opportunity to see this, uh, I honestly don't know, is it a film? No, it's a series, sorry. So at some point in time, this live-action series will come to be on Netflix, but if there is ever any time that I'm ever going to get into the One Piece story and the world, it's probably going to be in manga form, and I'm not probably going to jump into this manga series as a whole until we have a specific, you know, end goal in mind. There is one, of course, but until I hear it's like, hey, guess what? We're ending the final arc. We're about... We have only 10% of the way to go, and it'll probably be done within the year. I think that's probably going to be the time when I finally end up jumping into the One Piece manga, where I understand that it has over a thousand chapters and a thousand episodes concurrently running. Honestly, if I ever did get into One Piece, I think my formula and my strategy would be to read it uh, over watching it, but if there is a specific fight or if there is a specific arc where there are some uh, like pieces and 
plot points and conflicts that I would love to see given a bit of motion and music and a little bit more emphasis, then I would go back and actually rewatch it in this case in anime form after consuming it in the manga form. So at some point in time, I know I've been pressured <laughs> by a couple of my buddies to end up uh, like giving the show a, ch- a shot, but at this point in time, I will wait Honestly, it might be around the time that this uh, anim- this uh, live-action series finally comes through that we'll get an idea on how far along the story we are and if we are in the final lap, in the final sprint, but I don't know. Time will tell, but at some point in time, I will jump into the manga, I swear. So I guess with all the hodgepodge of ideas that I was trying to go through and figure out what I would line up over the past couple of days, I was just thinking through, and now that... I guess Valentine's Day is going to be the time that this comes out. I was thinking about, you know, going back and trying to figure out um, a way for me to get back into the quote-unquote spirit and to try and find a property inside of anime that essentially, like, fills me up with that kind of joy and wholesomeness that only this kind of day is able to go through. I guess the easiest way for me to go about this and to essentially get back into the swing of things would to go back and revisit probably my favorite any title. I know, I wouldn't say it's objectively the best, but if you're saying, what is your favorite any work? I would probably say Tomiko Market is the one to best fit the bill. And honestly, one of my favorite romance stories as a whole would go to its movie adaptation as a sequel to the series, Tomiko Love Story. And so to quickly just get through the specifics, um, legendary director Yamada Naoko is the one who ended up going through, as of course you would know her for uh, her directing properties on K-On, Silent Voice, Liz and the Bluebird. The most recent thing that she did ended up going with Science Saru that came out last year called Heike Monogatari, and I would definitely give props to that considering that that was an incredible job in spite the fact that this is probably, I can't remember if it was the first time she ended up leaving Kyoto Animation in order to go through and do a different project with a different studio, but honestly she was still doing what she does best and it is definitely something that I would recommend, even though it is a little not necessarily jumbled, but there's a lot going on, like leading on to the history in a lot of the Japanese Heikei, and so it would take a bit to get into because there's a lot of characters and a lot of things that none of us would know about in terms of the history and the major plot points that happened inside of that warring period. But I would still, you know, try and give it a watch. And in the sense that the written and screenplay was done by Reiko Yoshida, who ended up doing solo bits on her uh, scripting and writing chops through School Rumble, through the first season of Genshiken, through Aria the Animation, and she has done a good chunk of Yamada Naoko's screenplays on a lot of the properties that I just named prior. And then in terms of the music and composition, Karaoka Tomoko was kind of an interesting choice because the only animated work that she's ever done would be related to just the Tomoko series in general. So it's kind of interesting to see that this was her only major stay in an animated adaptation, but I wouldn't be surprised if she had done a lot more stuff in either live action or video games to kind of line that up and pad her resume to at least give her a bit more experience. But I guess in this semblance, I would kind of like to focus a bit more on the film, even though the show in of itself is honestly just something that was an incredible bundle of joy. Since the first time I remember watching, it was something that I wanted to stretch out for as long as possible, not considering that that was too long, but honestly something that I wanted to get a dose of every consecutive day for 12 days straight. And knowing that at the end of the day, considering I believe I was in my fourth year at university, if there was something that I could come home to at the end of every day to kind of have some semblance of relaxation and wholesomeness and just an infectious dose of happy feels, then this was honestly something that was great to come back to whenever I had that opportunity over those 
trialing 12 days. And so at least through that degree, I was able to go through and stretch that out. I did remember taking a couple of days to kind of like find the time to go through and rewatch the movie. It was kind of weird considering that I did end up trying to get in Atomico Market when it came out back in 2013, but I had not watched as many of Kyoto Animation's works, and it didn't necessarily like strike me down considering that Dara, as you know, is the talking bird that everybody just takes as matter-of-factly, where it's like, okay, I guess this is happening now, really kind of got under my skin when it was coming out back in 2013, and I watched the first episode and I just left it be, and I didn't necessarily pick it back up again until when I rewatched it, or at least jumped back into it, when I came back around to it in 2017. And at this point in time, I can still name it as one of my favorites, and if there was anything for else for me to talk about, it's definitely just the infectious joy that a lot of the characters go through, especially how the family unit functions, even though our main family is only four people, in the sense that it is um, Tamako, her sister Anko, her father Mamadai, and their grandfather, who ends up going through and covering just the family, but the family that takes place inside of the market when it comes down to the florist to the meat sellers, to the croquet set, to the mochi shop that's lit right across the street from theirs, leading through Mochizo, who is the childhood friend character that we know from the first episode, knows he we've had a, he's had a crush on Tomiko, but considering the fact that she's kind of airheaded and the only thing that she really thinks about is her friends and mochi and has never really thought of love as anything outside of familial or generational, then it's kind of interesting to see how that kind of miscommunication and thought process could be stretched out and kind of annoying at times, but they never really overstep their boundaries, and you know that everybody cares for one another, and it's incredibly wholesome to kind of see all the back and forth go, and knowing that everybody has each other's backs, and even though, like, some random thing could come through and inject itself into the Usagiyama shopping mall, in a sense, which in this case would be a topping bird, it still is just really warm and uh, kind environment to kind of see everybody go through and you immediately get sucked up by that wholesome energy that everybody is kind of emanating as everybody kind of just moves forward and tries to help each other in any way that they can. And if there's anything more that I would like to say about the series as a whole is that Considering that this was Yamada Naoko's first original directorial work in the sense that she had already done more than enough on stuff like Kaon, the fact that she was able to take so much of her own directing chops in terms of uh, like legwork and a lot of uh, film-esque sort of uh, cinematography in the sense that a lot of the times that the camera or the frame is never still, you can see there's a lot of lens flares, there's a lot of interesting transitions and wipes that kind of go through, especially when the characters are de- essentially doing nothing but talking and there's only two of them in the frame. You kind of get this sort of amateurish style that lines up in the sense that the camera can never stay still sometimes unless they want it to stay still in the sense that it looks like it's on a tripod to kind of give it that uh, same feel to try and get some semblance of control and make it focus uh, specifically on what's happening between characters, whether it's conflict, whether it's, you know, a little bit of a misunderstanding where even those sound incredibly annoying to deal with, the ones that they essentially go through and try and clear up over the course of these couple of episodes are definitely things that never come across and waste too much of your time, considering that the relationships between all the characters is the reason why you come here to enjoy it in the first place. So even though it is short in the sense that it's 12 episodes, it never wastes a single moment of that time to kind of bring it into its world and kind of get you invested in the characters that go through and try and go day by day inside of this calm little tiny shopping market. 
On top of the fact that one of my favorite parts about the directing style, or at least the script writing style in this case, is how a lot of the outer episodes mirror each other, or at least mirror the conflicts and the characters that are prioritized in those specific episodes, where at least episodes 5 through 8 are kind of like a mishmash and a hodgepodge between Choi and Dara coming in from the islands, and Mochizo and Kana who try and kind of like make their own way and get themselves into the story to try and, you know... Get a bit, because even though Kana is probably like one of the one of my favorite girls, she honestly just doesn't get enough uh screen time or enough moments in comparison to the rest of the crew, even though she is an architect and architects and engineers kind of go hand in hand, so I kind of wish that she would be able to get a little bit of more, but she's has an infectious deadpan energy whenever she's on screen, so I really enjoyed her. But then it's really interesting to see how the rest of the episodes outside of that go through, considering that episodes 4 and 9 kind of mirror and focus on Anko and Mamadai, which are basically the main family unit that Tamako has to go and is known and going for, considering that Anko is having a little bit of a trouble with her grade school crush that is kind of moving around and she doesn't really know what to do with it, where we end up getting to go through and see Mamadai go back and try to figure out what essentially he needs to do, because even though he is an incredibly stubborn and overprotective father, it's all stemming from the fact that Tamako is probably the only semblance of a reminder that he has to his late wife and Tamako's mother, Hinako. Episode 9 is could be one of my favorite episode of the series, like, barring the film, considering how it goes through and everybody goes through to try and uh, figure out what to do on Mochi Day, and to try and, like, focus around to see what uh, Mamadai is trying to figure out on what exactly he wants to go through and deal on... I don't believe it's the anniversary of her death, but whenever this day comes around, he consistently goes through and is just in a bit of a mess to try and figure it out, and the way that everybody inside of the shopping district is able to go through and kind of help him through that time of need is honestly incredibly sweet, especially with how we get to see him meeting Hinako for the first time, and how their relationship blossoms, and to see how that essentially moves on, and it's incredibly sweet. And I really enjoyed that, um, like those specific episodes, but then, like, leading on through the rest of it, having Shiori, the badminton aficionado, kind of go through where she's the focus on episodes 3 and 10, and how it blends into Midori, either being the one who is helping or the one who is being helped in her own episodes in particular for episodes uh, 10 and 11. Oh, as well as 2, considering that she's also got... <laughs> like Before rewatching the movie, I ended up going through and watching episode 2, considering that it is a legitimately canon Valentine's Day episode. And even though we do have those every now and again whenever it comes to romance anime, it's honestly very... <laughs> I would like to say undercut, but then again, the majority of the shopping mall ends up getting transformed into this heart-filled, just lovey-dovey ex escapade and uh i don't know a love tunnel would probably just be the easiest way to go through and describe it but it's incredibly polished and i really enjoy it and then tomiko ends up getting the priority in not only episodes 1 and 12 but probably 11 as well considering that everybody is going through and trying to figure out what this foreign prince is gotting for an interest in her and so i don't know it's it's really good to kind of see how all of those are mirrored in the semblance of trying to use that as, like, a writing job. And I, and I really kind of enjoyed that, like, looking back on it after, like, finishing the series and was like, oh, wait, this looks exactly like that episode that happened, you know, like, uh, like halfway back. And, yeah, it did a really good job, and I was really appreciative to see those kind of, like, little nods and those little flourishes of personality go through and not only the script, but the directing as well. And so, yeah, at least from now on, I'm going to spoil 
basically the entirety of Tomiko Love Story, and if nothing I've said has interested you before, then sure, you can just continue to listen on, but I would definitely say I would give this show a wholehearted recommendation to anything to anybody who's looking for something short, sweet, and wholesome, and then you can lead on afterwards and watch the film as a whole for Tomiko Love Story. So, okay. Going back in on the film, I really did... Um, I don't remember liking the stretched out pace through the middle, considering that for a movie that's only about 80 minutes long, it still kind of feels a little dragged out at times, considering that it is Tomiko Market, well, considering that it is called Tomiko Love Story, it is basically going through and trying to figure out the emphasis on Tomiko and Mochizo's romance, and trying to figure out what essentially they want to do, considering that they're in their last year of high school, and they were really trying to figure out what essentially they want to, like, forward their relationship, considering that Mochizo is ending out, he's thinking about going to a university outside of town, out in Tokyo, and so he's really trying to figure out essentially how he wants to break the ice and break his feelings towards Tamako, and to try and figure out if that's the best thing to do, considering that there's not a lot of time left in the middle of Tamako trying to figure out what her own purpose in life is doing, and even though it seems in the beginning that it's incredibly simple, where it's like, you know, your purpose in life is to make mochi, you love mochi, it, it's everything that's linked to your family, it's what's linked you to your mother, it's what's linked you to your parents, as well as Anko and your grandfather and everybody else going before you, and she is so fixated on mochi throughout the majority of the series, as well as this film, until Mochizo goes and presses the issue to try and figure out what essentially they want to do uh, with this relationship, considering that Tamako has never really thought about love in the romantic sense before. It was mostly just familial and friendly love that she likes to share throughout everybody that she has a relationship with inside of the shopping district. The way that Mochizo breaks the ice and finally ends up going forward and talking to Tamako about this is probably my favorite confession of love in not only just anime but in like possibly in media as well it's been a while since at least something live action has got me invested in kind of like a romance or a love story and nothing has necessarily surpassed it since but just the way it's set up between these two awkward teenagers trying to get different things uh out of their relationship between each other is just it was really i don't know it was different. It was simple, it was awkward, it was weird, but it was ultimately a passionate and loving and gentle way to kind of like go through and get this out, as well as the way that they've known each other for so long, that they've been so close over the course of all their years, considering that they've been together since they were kids, like babies even. The fact that not only were they mochi shops literally just across the street from each other, on top of the fact that their mothers and their fathers were... <laughs> the mothers had, like, an amicable relationship, but the fathers would always just go back and forth and just prattle on and on and just, like, into conflict with one another. Um, but the fact that they'd known each other for all this time, and, of course, Mochizo being the one that's had a crush on her for ages, is actually finally being the one to step forward, but he gives her space, at least for a fleeting moment. He gives her time, and the way that it's shot, where, of course, it's Yamada Naoko, when uh, Tamako ends up starting to talk about Mochi, as she always does, when Mochizo is the one ending up uh, trying to build himself up to do this confession, and the camera is shaky, it's going out of focus, it's trying to 
figure out a good lens and a good focus like over through the reflective light coming off of the river that the two of them are standing on, on top of the fact that it's just pointing at their legs, considering that Yabadanauko is definitely one that that one of her biggest uh, directorial flourishes is that she normally just points the camera towards people's legs because, in her own words, um, somebody's personality and energy and uh, directfulness can be just all brought forward from just their legs alone. And honestly, considering that communication is 90% nonverbal, I wouldn't be surprised if a decent uh, percentage of that would be body language, especially when it comes to somebody's legs and feet. But honestly, that's <laughs> that's her take, and I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. <sighs> but at least trying to continue the way that even though the camera is focused on their legs, and because Tomiko is still trying to talk about Mochi, as she normally does when she just gets listless and focuses away, in the sense that she's still not really grasping the situation that Mochi's always trying to set up, and he's trying to confess, but the way that she keeps going back to, to Mochi, and she keeps going back for it being a very positive influence on her life, but not because... She thinks that mochi are just this great uh, pastry and gift and treat that is the uh, like the warmest thing on the planet and like one of the greatest things. It's just it's the thing that reminds her of her late mother the most. And so when she compares herself to mochi and comparing herself to her mother, where how she thinks it's great and it's the light of everybody's life, but that she still isn't as great as she wants to be. And how she, when the camera finally goes and starts panning towards Tamako, and she starts talking about the mochi in the sense that it is soft, it is kind, it's cheerful, and that it warms you up. And in the middle of all of this, she, you're getting flashbacks from Tamako's childlike perspective and point of view of her mother. And Mochizo immediately, he doesn't have to say a word, but he realizes that Tomiko in that moment is also talking about her mother. And in a way, from there, the camera finally does a flashback, but instead of it being from the perspective of Tomiko, it's from the perspective of Mochizo. And how Tomiko's mother ends up trying to call him over to help Tomiko because she's sad and she's lonely and she's hurt. And the fact that he doesn't they don't even have to say a word to each other and the fact that they you know that they're thinking about the exact same thing and he knows as to why she tries to compare herself to that and compare herself to mochi and at the end of the day one of the last things that she says in that exchange is just she never thinks that she could live up to that she never thinks that she could be as great or as kind as her mother was and she asks if mochizo thinks she she could be and of course, from Mochizo's perspective, she already is. She's the object of his affection. She's the one that he has loved for years and years and years and has known her all his life. And so that finally gives him the courage to confess his feelings and not only say that, but say that he's also going to Tokyo. And of course, Tomiko is flustered by this, considering that she's never thought of romance. She's never thought of love in that way. And so she's immediately taken aback and falls into the river, which is very shallow, So, but she's just so flabbergasted, and she can't necessarily bring herself to respond for a couple of seconds, and so she just says that she's honored that I feel that, I'm honored that you feel that way. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm gonna go now. And so the camera starts jumping 
as it stays in place and you see Tomiko flustered and fluttering away and swifting from her feet. And so she ends up starting to jog and then run and trying to figure out like what exactly was going on. What did he say? Like, what was he talking about? We were talking about Mochi. Like, what what just happened on the river? And all the colors in all of the world just fades away into this pastel watercolor-esque mindscape that she's in. Because just everything, everything's just lost meaning. Everything has just been completely thrown into disarray. And all the colors in the world can't come together in a way that makes sense to her anymore. And it's, I don't know, I, I love it. I absolutely adore that scene from the bottom of my heart and it always i always get goosebumps and i always just feel nostalgic but kind of happy like every time that scene comes around and so at least from that point forward there is like i will say we get the confession but it's only a half hour into the film and so the rest of the film is essentially both of the characters coming to terms with how that makes each other feel and if they can even make it work if Mochizo is going to end up going to Tokyo, which is another city over, and to try and figure out if they can, you know, still keep it going and to even process it. And so that's and so that's kind of a little bit of a stretch since there is a good amount of time before Mochizo and Tamako end up even having a conversation where Tamako is always consistently trying to avoid him, avoiding conversation, avoiding like processing or accepting anything that happens. And it isn't until she ends up getting not necessarily a message from her mother, but she finally goes back and listens to the cassette tape of her dad's, you know, demo reel of a song that he wrote for her mother when he was a kid to try and, like, put his confession into words. And, it's, and it was just kind of like, in that way, Tomiko's mother finally giving a response in the same way that her father, Mabadai, was able to, actually gives her, you know, the proper strength, I guess, but also the fortitude to essentially go through and try and figure out what she wants to do and how she wants to respond. And so they end up going through and uh, she finally performs at the uh, music marching festival that they were going through and they were practicing throughout the entirety of the film. And after the entirety of the film of her not being able to catch the baton in the sense that she's never able to find her center of gravity and she was never able to find a way to properly catch and receive any all the feelings that she has been accruing over the past uh, set of the movie. She's finally able to catch it for the first time at the end of the uh, performance, which was kind of hilarious because in the middle of the performance, everybody else is just kind of like freezing to be like, oh my gosh, she actually caught it. <laughs> and, it was, and it was kind of nice. And I do kind of like gotta call my heart out to Midori, considering that she's she's another girl that has been... A friend of Tomiko, not as long, but for just as long as she's been around the market, and she's never really been able to properly confess her feelings, considering that she's always had this affection and this crush on Tomiko, and you see that realized in the second episode of the series, and the fact that she can't really give Tomiko the same thing that Mochizo uh, is able to give to her definitely kind of eats away at her inside and even though she pushes Mochizo in a way to finally go through and confess halfway through the movie she can't really bring herself to accept the fact that she's essentially lost what was never really a contest but just she finally accepts the fact that Tomiko will never feel the same way about her that she does and she goes through and once again pushes in first pushing Mochizo halfway through the film to confess she ends up pushing Tomiko at the end of the film to go through and give 
Mochizo a proper response. And so I definitely appreciate the lengths that she was able to go through, even though she is going to be around her friends and she will go to university, but she'll be a little closer. She'll still be, in a sense, away uh, for an amount of time, and she kind of wanted to get something through and something across, but I don't know. I definitely appreciate that, at least at the end of the day, she was able to go through and try, and like every other character inside of the series, you kind of hope for the best of for them, you hope for their happiness to be found, and you really hope that at the end of the day, they'll all be able to go through and figure out what they want to do, and how their relationships will go, and how they're going to be able to move forward into the next day, and you kind of hope that they're all able to find their own romance in the same way that Tamako and Mochizo has. Because at the end of the day, everybody loves somebody. And if there's anything to take away from that series... So yeah, kind of apologize that this is a short one, even though it's been about three weeks. I'm going to get uh, my thoughts on the Academy-nominated ones out uh, the week after, and then... I've got a couple of ideas, like, leading forward afterwards to kind of, like, get that through, and I'll get myself back on the regular schedule, considering that now I'm fully moved in, now I have a good idea about what the community centers have to offer, and now that a lot of my buddies are finally back from vacation, I'll be able to go through and get a couple of ideas bouncing off that and to kind of move forward and see what I can make those out to be. So, uh, in many ways, yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Cheers. Cheers.